In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome. Good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. And may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from the Drive Time Show on Friday with myself, Kayum. And joining me today is one of my old compadres, my comrade, Brother Hanif. Good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you, Brother Hanif. Afternoon to you, Brother Kayum. It's a great pleasure to be here on a Friday after quite some time. It has been some time, yes. And, um, you know, we were just reminiscing, you know, when we off of the, the mics good old, alive. The good old days. How, yeah, the good old days and how it used to be. And, and actually, just reflecting on how great the topics are, like today we've got some fantastic topics, so we current, do. so we brilliant. Do. We do, definitely. And, uh, yeah, um, awesome. Topics of concern. Yeah. Um, the first hour, or a bit longer, depends on how Brother Hani feels, um, we're going to be talking about homelessness. Um, it's a topic I think that doesn't get enough airtime it's a topic that doesn't get spoken about enough. Yeah. I think it's a topic which also is misunderstood because there's so many different variations of homelessness. So many definitions. There is the the definition by organizations, beautiful, fantastic organizations like Shelter. There is the definition from a housing perspective. There is a definition from a government perspective. Then there is the question from the layman's perspective. When you ask a layman what a homeless person is, they will think someone who has no fixed abode. So we're going to be looking at homelessness. We're going to try and break it down and see why there is homelessness in uh, uh, in United Kingdom. Um, we're going to look at homelessness from uh, the lens, the Islamic lens, yeah. um, uh, and we're going to be looking at some solutions. But we're also going to look at some countries um, where they have successfully tackled homelessness. But that will be the first hour if you want to contribute, if you are uh, involved in the industry, in the field, give us a call, 0208-687-7878. In the second hour, we're going to be talking about um, free markets. What does that mean? Well, um, free markets means exactly that, uh, me, that me and uh, Hanif are mm. going to be talking freely about um, which markets have tried to break into the world politics and world economies, there was a time we spoke of socialism, we talk of communism, we talk of Marxism. We have talked of capitalism. Um, and so many times we have been on this platform and we've spoken about the Islamic economic system. We're going to be talking, we're going to be having a discussion. Um, and we're also going to be connecting the topic, or we will try our best to, to connect the topic of the hour, which is now to economics and to how um, the economies of today are failing um, the people um, of of today, uh, but that will be from five o'clock onwards. Yeah, uh, uh, well, well said, well said. And one of the other uh, amazing organisations that also that have a definition when you talk about all of these aspects is is obviously Crisis. Mm-hmm. Crisis is another organisation, and we know a lot about Crisis because you stand a lot of people standing on corners of streets selling the big issue. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and you know, a very uh, successful publication. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, again, homelessness, huge, huge topic. Yeah. Um, it's considered one of the modern world's most serious problems. Um, and Hanif, uh, I'm sure you will agree with me here. It's a self-inflicted problem. We, we, we say it, it's a problem, but irrespective of which side of the political platform you sit on, yeah. it is something that has never really been um, been tackled in, in the fashion that it used to. And 
society has come a long way in, in, in finding solutions for many of these issues it faces. Poverty, homelessness still remain a big problem in today's world. I mean, and they go hand in hand, don't they? Poverty, homelessness. Yeah, and, and in the mix of all of that yeah. is homes. Yes. Right? Is of there course. enough of them? And we're also asking a question on Instagram. Aren't we? If you guys want to take part as well, we're asking, is there a future without homelessness in the UK and is it possible? So let's see what kind of responses we get from that. And I think as we as we progress this and talk about it, I think we'll probably get a nice idea as to which way our listeners are going. But you are right. They are so linked, aren't they? Yeah. If you had people who had somewhere to stay. We know there are so many properties up and down this country that are empty. Without so doubt, many yeah. office blocks that are, are empty that can be converted. But you, you did say about it's politically motivated and you said it. each government has their kind of decisions. It is actually the choices that are made by political parties that are in power to look at this weakest link in society that... If it can be eradicated, hmm. it's like anything with a chain. The weakest link, if you can fix that, then everyone benefits. And homelessness, in my opinion, I think is one of the weakest links we have in society. It's kind of a reflection of where we are. Now, choices can be made. And we do know that people have made these conscious decisions. We'll talk about Finland anyway, which you mentioned earlier in right. introduction. But there are other cities up and down the country that have also made it a priority, a political priority, mm. where things have got better. And I also think there's another element to this as well that you mentioned about the aspects of of what Islam teaches us, because it's also quite intrinsic into what we are as a as a faith, what teaches us. Mm. And we always speak about this. So there's two things. One, we worship our God Almighty. And the second one, as he instructs, is to serve humanity. Well, and you can't do one without the other. No. You can't, you, can't, you can't worship God if you don't serve humanity. Yeah. Something we will come back to yeah. later on. But as um, you, you've, uh, you've hit on the, on the Islamic perspective, the current head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Azam Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, he spoke on homelessness um, at uh, the Canadian National Parliament um, when he visited the parliament in Ottawa. His Holiness said, a lack of fairness is what uh, precipitated the global financial crash and the growing disparity between the rich and the poor during the past few years. I say this given that the whilst I say this given that whilst developed and richer nations may have chosen to invest in poorer countries, they have prioritized their own vested interests above facilitating the development of those local countries. Rather than exploitation, exploitation and greed, the developed nations ought to have championed the rights of the weaker nations and sought their advancement. They ought to have sincerely helped the people of those poor nations stand upon their own two feet with dignity mm. and honor. And His Holiness said this on the 17th of October 2016 16. when he addressed the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa. And to be honest, the, these wise and fantastic words also will lay the foundations of our of the next hour when we when we're going to be talking about the free market and and the development of economies and economic systems and greed yeah and you talk about october yeah a few months before that is mm -hmm. when this country decided to leave the european union that's right and Again, <laughs> another another a few sessions that we can have uh, 
um, on, uh, on, <laughs> on, on, let, on Brexit. Sh- sh- let, let's talk to our next guest let's who's been guest, uh, yes. waiting t- to us. Uh, uh, if you allow me, I'll do the introduction Please. to Barbara Haig, and she works within the Social Bite Impact team. And she spent the last eight years focusing on homelessness with a career spanning 23 years within the charity sector and working within mental health, substance misuse, criminal justice, children and families, third sector settings. So it's absolutely fantastic to be able to get Barbara's insight. Barbara, welcome to The Drive Time Show and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. It was, it's, it's lovely and I'm sitting here in Scotland and when you mention Brexit, <laughs> my toes literally curl. <laughs> but you know, we've had things like recession, austerity, COVID, cost of living. It's like whatever, whatever next. And I think when you're saying a part of your segment of the show is looking at economics, well, mm. there's definitely been economic fallouts from all these areas which have then impacted society and certainly had an impact in homelessness. You know, we are looking at figures post-COVID now and we're able to see um, the the challenges that have come through through COVID where people were were potentially, you know, living with friends and relatives, Mm. uh, becoming homeless or um, losing their their tenancies because they were short-term tenancies, which is a major um, issue in, in Britain at the moment, especially um, England, where there's been a massive rise in homeless because of these short-term tenancies. You know, there's so many factors involved here, and you know, it's interesting when you mentioned poverty just a, a moment ago when you you you, you did the quote from um, the, the Canada yeah, thing. Yes, yes, yes. I, I thought that was a, a very brave and um, humbling um, humbling to listen to. But you know. The thing is that poverty is a, a, a massive issue um, across the UK and, and certainly Britain. And it's very sad to see that food banks, you know, they've mainly been on the go about 17 years now. Um, and they've been really normalised. Yeah. You know, they've become part of a way of life. And we don't want the same to happen around homelessness, that this is just normal. Where, you know, it is a human right. Everybody should have a roof over their head, a place to call home. Yeah. You know, and have the dignity to be able to close the door in an evening, and you know, and have family and enjoy family. Um, and I think we're losing a bit of that because everything's very much commercialised, and it's homes have become a business. Yeah. So, and some of the, the the thoughts of home, you know, are very different to each individual. Yeah, I mean, what you said there that really resonates with me is that somewhere where you can close the door and then call home. I mean, but people live on the street, their homelessness, where is where can they go in a safe environment? I mean you've mentioned quite clearly that that housing availability is one of the top causes for homelessness. Are, are there any other in your opinion? I think, you know, we absolutely need you can't solve homelessness without homes and we mm. certainly need um we talk about affordable homes. Well actually sometimes affordable homes just aren't affordable. We need social houses. You know, we need homes that are a lot more affordable um, than what's been offered. So we certainly need to be looking at the chronic shortage of social housing um, and access more long-term affordable rent solutions. There's absolutely, you know, when you look at rough sleeping, there's very there's so many causes you know do we do have beggars on the street but we also have a blend of beggars and rough sleepers. But you know when you look at London alone for rough sleeping. It's 5,712 people. That's 5,000 human beings on a street. 
And when you look at the seat of government in Westminster, they should be hanging their heads because there's 853 people rough sleeping right on their doorstep. Yeah, and when when you look at the rough sleepers, um, and when you say doorstep, literally it is in London, not far from Westminster or some of the other kind of prominent streets like the Strand. We, our, our organisation, our youth organisation, they spend a lot of time up the Strand um, giving lots of food to the homelessness and meeting them as well. Yep. And there's a yep. whole programme we've done on all it's of amazing. that. It's amazing, yeah. Uh, but I also want interested to learn about your tagline on Social Bite. It is ending homelessness. And, and how, how are you going to do that? Because we know it's political choices, but that cannot be the only solution because we've had governments in power for quite some time that we're still seeing homelessness. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see that happening? And, and actually, is it specifically in Scotland we see many of the problems well, as know, well? I feel that there was so many places institutionalised, so they might be working the homelessness, but I just felt there was such a complacency mm-hmm. for a long time that they were just settled with the status, status quo. So there was a, a real change in the rhetoric and how we spoke about homelessness starting. Um, and... Really, it's been incredible seeing loads of sectors coming together, and I'm talking about business communities, government, council, charities, all coming together um, with the shared principles and shared goal of ending homelessness. And that in itself is enormous because everybody could work in silos. Um, but it was just such a concerted effort. So certainly when I, I started at Social Bite, you know, we were looking at um, challenging the status quo with innovation and scalable solutions um, for making some lasting change, fundraising, pioneering some projects. You know, we had like House and First. Now, it wasn't something that we invented. There was Certainly House and First um, was smaller um, in Scotland. And what we found was we looked at Finland as a model and thought, you know, could we do some fundraising, try and get everybody on board this and scale this up? So we did exactly that. And um, it's just incredible now we're seeing Greater Manchester really taking this on board and moving forward with it. Because it really is looking at rough sleeping. This is targeted at rough sleepers because sometimes people bounce in and out of homelessness. And we were looking at rough sleeping and how this was happening and reoccurring. And what House and First provides is like a wraparound support. And what I mean by that is place people into homes. There's your home. And then we wrap support around you in that home. And then we gradually withdraw. So if you have the principles of everyone um, having the human right of having a roof over their head, well, for rough sleepers, they just need, you know, a bit more help. Um, managing a tenancy. So, you know, this was a fantastic way of engaging other charitable organisations, government um, and councils to to start looking at the, looking at piloting this in all the council areas in Scotland. And it's just been fantastic rolling that out across all the councils. But just taking a lot of learnings from that and, and ensuring people don't bounce back to rough sleeping. Yes, and so I wanted to ask you about that bounce back because many people, they kind of look at a person who's homeless living on the street or the worst case scenario, like stereotyping them that they're linked mm-hmm. to um, substance abuse and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then this is probably why they just, you don't want to give money to the people on the streets either mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. they're only, only going to go and spend it on, on something that's not going to help them. Mm-hmm. And this is something, isn't it? When those, and I you're working with them, look, wrapping around yeah. it, 
how, how are you going to, how are you helping that stereotype changing? And well, you know, Yeah, do you know, there's, I think individually you need to look at how can I make the biggest impact? If I'm going to do something, what, how can I make the biggest impact? Now, you were mentioning how um, your organisation does food and goes out at the Strand. Yeah. And, you know, so people donating to things like that. So there's a, a bigger impact. But you do, you know, there is nothing wrong with um, having a chat and speaking to somebody who's rough sleeping. But it's also been mindful that there's a lot of people with undiagnosed mental health issues out there, physical health problems that aren't being treated, and substance misuse problems that are not being treated. And that's why a lot of time people can't get any accommodation or night shelters. Um, people start substance misuse and potentially once they're on the street just to get by. Yeah. You know, there's someone came into your cafe and had said, oh, um, I'm one of your volunteers and was so upset because some of the people that were coming in just seemed so angry. And I was like, well, it's minus two and they've been out all night. They just want something hot. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's something about um, just seeing people struggle and being able to find empathy and, and, and look in, within yourself and say, well, what can I do to make an impact here? And you've got various options in doing that. Yeah. Um, and whether that is going to your local food bank and donating food, because they're, they're, they're having such a shortage in every food bank across the UK. You know, they're, they're basically only going to be able to be open till like autumn time. This is so dire at the moment yeah. with the lack of food due to poverty. So any way we can feed people to make things a bit more survival, survivable out there, is, is helpful. Yeah. Similarly, roofs over the head. There's, it's such a wide issue that that's, that's just um, it's not one simple solution. No, it's There's not. There's just many different solutions. Do, do, do you think your first minister Hamza Yusuf is got, understands this? Do you think he's able to fix the problems in Scotland? Yeah, I think there's been um, a real effort from the Scottish government to really get involved in ending homelessness. And I think that's why we've had quite a few successes in how we're working. And certainly our figures, you know, if you're looking at the whole of the uh, whole of Great Britain, you're looking at 270,000, 271,000 homeless people across um, across Britain. In Scotland, they've got 31 yeah. of those. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you do have to look at what learnings can we have from other countries, including ourselves, yeah. Um, to, to, to share those yeah. and, and look at ways forward. But certainly Scotland um, has been really exciting and quite interesting oh. um, working here um, and being able to pilot different things. Yeah, awesome. I just, just uh, Guillaume wants to come and ask you some questions as well. But mm-hmm. but you're happy to take lessons from Andy Berman in Scott in Manchester. Uh, are I, you? I knew there was. Good, I knew I knew Hanif was going to come in there with his with the Andy Burnham. Know. No, you see, I I have I have a neutral question. Thank you. You have you've been in housing for twenty three years. I've yes, actually worked in, in housing sector, for yes. nineteen mm-hmm. in in my previous life. Yeah, housing is it it has an effect on inequality in society if one looks yeah. at it from today's point of view there yeah. is uh, climate issues yes um low productivity um in growth mental health physical health mm-hmm. um it it is the problem which nobody talks about in a holistic manner if mm-hmm. housing was resolved in today's society I would say, as far as, again, personal opinion, 50% of the issues that we have with regards to um, health, economics, Mm -hmm. um, inequality would be resolved. 
or mm. we would start on on a positive as to resolving it. Yes, it's solvable because it's a social problem. It is a social problem. My problem is irrespective of which political arena one belongs to. Mm-hmm. Everybody says the problem lies within the private sector, which it does. Which with small small aspects mm-hmm. of it is. Mm-hmm. I agree. But nobody looks at it holistically. Mm-hmm. Nobody is nobody has the what's the word? the desire the the political will to look at it cross party because this issue will never be resolved unless it is a cross party um mm-hmm. yes. um um, yes. uh, um be, because governments will come and go yes and they need to ring fence dealing with housing mm-hmm. and just one final question i know it's long-winded there are so many different definition of homelessness i was talking to hanif earlier which causes the problem within itself because when we talk about homelessness we i i did a an article some some year couple of years ago on rough sleeping mm-hmm. um and when i was doing it and i thought the definition of rough sleeping um would come under homelessness somebody living in temporary accommodation is mm-hmm. homelessness somebody who is hiddenly who is a hidden household is homeless mm-hmm. someone who is deemed as being served a section 21 is homeless yeah. there are so many different definition of homeless yeah. which needs to change because they need to reflect the situation the people are in because of this definition people suffer yeah yeah it's it's, it's you're you're very right and i think anywhere where someone feels that they can call that home you know and whatever yep. that may be but i'm i'm interested when you mentioned it's a climate issue we need to also factor in 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 the fact that there's going to be a lot more climate migration yes there is and and that seems to not be in a lot on a lot of people's radars mm-hmm. now we've already got quite a hostile environment that you know a lot of people will come and tell me this yeah. um for people either seeking asylum or migrating mm-hmm. and i think you know what's it going to be like by 2050 when they're saying you know 200 million people will be migrating because of climate change. You know, and, and when we look at that we, we have to say to ourselves we really need to uh, uh, to shake things up here because there'll be things chopping at our door where you know migration whether people want it or not is going to have to happen due to climate and that might include fire floods war you know all of these things that's that's um, coming um through climate. Yeah. Um and 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 there's no real strategy or structure to it. Yeah. So there's nobody saying, right, what's this going to look like in 5 years time? What action do we need to start putting in place now so we can mitigate some of the fallout and some of the risks that's going to occur? Um because we don't seem to have that vision and I think you're right. Governments will come and go and there'll be short-term solutions to things. Yep. Um where you know as multi it affects all parties. All parties should be on board and looking at more um long-term what we can do and and as for private sector I I wouldn't um I would say in Scotland the private sector have been absolutely fantastic in setting really high standards so for repairs and things like that there's been really good um evidence that's that because you've had good legislation to... that's because yep, there's been yep, good legislation yep, that's why yep. but across the board mm. th- there there is an issue there there yep. there, there, there does need to be I improvement agree. there needs to be more regulation more better standards local housing allowance you yes. know, a, a here of people having to top up from their benefits 
yep. to pay for rent. So then that means that they're not paying for food and that means that they're not um, be able to heat their, their families. Agreed. Which, which is also a concern. Barbara, we're, we're, I, could, I, could argue, I could discuss and argue with you so oh, many I different could as well. <laughs> so, so many different aspects of how we That's can right. come to a resolution. But we are, I, I, I want to ask just one final question, if you can give me a brief answer to it. Is there mm-hmm. light at the end of the tunnel yeah. when it comes to homelessness? I believe so. I believe so. I think there's such a resilience in this country to get things done. And um, I really think there's been some interesting projects and interesting work being done concertively by a lot of organisations and certainly the corporate business community have been absolutely incredible um, and, and proactively getting involved in what can they do in their corporate and social responsibility. So when we look at things on the grand scheme of things, it's just been really exciting. All these connecting parts joining up um, to look at ending homelessness and finding some innovative solutions, which I'm, I'm sort of getting more excited about as, as the years are, are going on because I'm seeing that evidence. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Barbara Haig, th- thank you so much for taking time out this afternoon and thank coming, you on, so much. Uh, coming on and, and shedding some insight into this very, very important much. topic. Wishing you a fantastic weekend. May peace you be with too. you. Yeah, thank uh, you so much. And uh, you. Thank fantastic. you. Fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, you know, if you want to get in touch, 0208-687-7878, you know, always after having a... Or, a or join us on our social media platforms yeah. at Voice of Islam UK where we're asking the question, is a future without homelessness? Is there a future yes. without homelessness so in I the United States? So, you know, politically, you know, what's being done? Are we doing something? There is an APPG on homelessness, mm-hmm. right? And the chair What's is an APPG? All, He's spoken like a true politician. Okay. All-party parliamentary group. Cross-party. <laughs> cross-party. Cross-party. So important. And, and there is one. And actually, to be honest, it's um, Bob Blackman, who's the... MP for Harrow, mm-hmm. uh, but actually, not so long ago, he criticised and said there was no confidence in the government to to see an end end in rough sleeping by 2024. But so, to give but but to give yeah. what you just said a yeah. balanced perspective. Yeah. For the past 50, I I have worked in in housing, and irrespective of which government it is, it's always about the policy which suits yeah. the 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 party. It's never about the person who is affected. It's never about looking at the homeless individual. And that's where my problem lies. But let's go and talk to an expert who can shed some fantastic light on this. We have with us Josephine Ensign, who is a nurse and a professor who has worked with people experiencing homelessness for the past 40 years. She's the author of three books on homelessness and lives in Seattle, Washington. Good afternoon. Welcome, Assalamualaikum, and peace be on you, Josephine. Thank you so much for taking time out for us for the Drive Time Show. Yes, thank you. It's good to be be here with you. No, uh, great. I mean, th- this is uh, definitely probably a topic that's extremely close to to your heart and obviously ours as well. Um, and as you've been through some challenges yourself as well, and this is why we just wanted to just delve straight into this, is you know, and you've written a number of books, um, and one of them being Catching Homelessness. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, Catching Homelessness, um, A Nurse's Story of Falling Through the Safety Net, was my first book, and it yeah. is what I call a medical memoir. So it's the story of my own experience, again, falling through the safety net in the, in the United States, um, becoming homeless was when I was a young adult. 
and how that has affected me in terms of not only my work um, as a nurse, as a researcher, as a policymaker with you know, people experiencing homelessness, um, but in my own, my own personal life as well. Even in the UK, we found not so long ago, um, with the cost of living rising, people not being able to pay their mortgages, they were on such a fine line of actually becoming homelessness or not being homelessness, and it was like every month they would know that situation. We did, in this this country, have tightened up some of the laws to allow people to be evicted or mortgage lenders to be a bit more lenient and, and offer some reprieve. But it was a situation where it was so dangerous for so many people, you would just see people evicted from their homes and just on the street, just... One month they're there, second month they're on the street. It's really difficult. But do you think there is a massive stigma around homelessness still today? Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, homelessness, the kind of a, the experience of homelessness, it's considered part of um, social exclusion, which includes you know, people who are ex-prisoners and um and people who are sex workers, um, as well as kind of Roma or travelers. And um, there's a stigma from society, and there's also, which I know personally, there's an internalized stigma. Um, Because in the UK, and I've I've lived in the UK, and and, um, especially up in in Scotland, um, and just in terms of the whole class basis of, (laughs) <laughs> the UK, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you in our country similar. You know, we we blame we blame homelessness on the person that there must be individual flaws, and um, so people experience that, um, mm. internalize that, and you know, think it's our fault. Nicknames, when, yeah, they're individual vulnerabilities, but there are these larger structural issues. Yeah, uh, you're you're right about that, and that stigma, I. I the the term that always you, you, I was heard a lot when I was in America was were well, they're just bums now, right. and I don't know if that still is the case because so many more people are now becoming more homeless. They've understand the difficult situations you mentioned about the structural changes, the ability to not have help, and I think it's probably much worse in the United States than it is here in the UK. I mean, do you feel that as a comparison with what you know? Definitely. And, um, you know, one, one thing I think a lot of people, well, I know people in the U.S. don't, don't really realize this and, and probably um, therefore not a lot in the U.K., but because of our crazy healthcare system, you know, we, I, I know the NHS, you know, that there are, there are many, many criticisms and problems, ongoing problems, but at least you have, you know, universal or yes. near universal access to basic primary health care. Yep. And we don't, and it's become even more fragmentized, especially after the pandemic. Um, medical debt is still one of the top three leading causes of homelessness in the U.S. Wow, and that's a massive statistic. You, <laughs> right, and you know, people that I that I you know lived and worked with, uh, especially like in Scotland, they that just like they couldn't even like wrap their heads around it. Like, you know, how could somebody become Homeless, not just because of, as you were saying, you know, losing, 
losing their jobs or losing um, whatever it is that mm. is helping them either rent a place or own a place. Um, you know, so affordable you know, housing, but uh, affordable, accessible health care um, is, is, a, is a huge issue. And, and that you know, also translates when we, we have a social safety net in our country, it increased significantly, especially once you know, President Biden came into power. Um, but we don't have nearly the social safety net that you have in the UK um, mm. or in the you know, other European countries. I mean, this, this statistic you've just said that a third of the people who become homeless is down to the medical debt. I mean, so, so this must have a long-lasting impact on homelessness, especially on the physical and mental health of a person or even a family. How, so what are you seeing in terms of United States? Um, is it going down and down? Is there a future? Because we asked this question to our previous guest as well, Barbara, in the in Scot. I mean, maybe she was answering for Scotland, but maybe United Kingdom. You know, do you see that there is a future without homelessness, and is that possible? Do you think that will be possible in the United States? Uh, short answer is no. I mean, we've had these long-standing kind of, um, you know, plans to, to end homelessness and those, <laughs> the 10 year plans to end homelessness. Um, and that was, that was getting close to 30 years ago. And of course we haven't, um, we haven't eliminated it. Uh, and at least on the West coast in Seattle where I live, yeah. which has the third largest number of homeless people in the country, um, it's it's massively increased. I mean, the the pandemic, um, all the effects of that um, have increased, and then also, and I know in the UK you have this, as well as the US, the aging, yes, um, population, and um, and I work with a significant number of um, of older people, um, you know, sixty and above who have like lost their housing, um, you know, again, medical debt and everything else, and have become homeless for the first time in their lives. So, so uh, that, and, and the effects of climate change, um, you know, that is also displacing people. Yeah. You know, here we have a lot of wildfires, you're having effects and, you know, yeah, we're breaking records every every year, every month, um, right. and it's been crazy. Uh, this you mentioned about uh, Joe Biden, and the effects is still there. His he has a big, massive environment program, very ambitious. We all hear about it, we all read about it, and some of the European countries are probably going to follow suit. Do you think that the the billions and trillions he's investing to achieve a carbon pollution free power sector by twenty twenty uh, by twenty thirty five? like a net zero emission economy will in a way boost the economy and help in a way to eradicate homelessness because it's part of one of his ambitious goals. Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, <laughs> I voted for Biden um, and, and you know, hopefully we'll vote for him again in an mm. upcoming election. But um and I live in a state um, uh, that is 
that is one of the leaders in terms of environmental, yeah. um, uh, um, you know, trying to be more environmentally conscious. Um, so I see that in terms of the trickle down. My husband works in the automotive industry. The you know, increase in, in, in uptake of electric cars and trucks. So I see hope, you know, and um, and you know, and we're having a lot more plans, and I know you all are as well in terms of disaster preparedness, not just for the next pandemic, but also in terms of other effects of you know, negative effects of climate change. Yeah, and how to be well, resilient. you're right, and and you mentioned it massively, and then it's going to affect the whole world. We spoke about it earlier. So, Josephine, just want to say thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate. Oh, thank you conversation and 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 you know for your story as well sharing that with us and in the book catching homelessness and you know thank you for telling us about that as well and it's been really enjoyable talking to you thank you very much you too thank Thank you. you peace be on you peace be on you you too let's uh well before we go on to our next guest yeah we we you know we talked about possible solutions it's not just a theory. It has been tried in Finland, and it has, um, you know, um, somewhat worked. It has, say, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at um, con- contrasting it to other European countries, they've seen the massive decrease. Because they put a long-term plan. You know, Kim, you were talking about each government not in power long enough. It's, it's short-term. Mm-hmm. But actually, they decided to tackle this they long took time the ago. politics yeah, out there you go that's what yeah. they did but let's go and 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 talk to our next guest of the afternoon yes. we've got with us liz rutherford um liz uh um is uh a ceo at single home project a charity that helps over 10,000 londoners experiencing homelessness every year good afternoon welcome to the drive time show assalamualaikum and peace be on you Thank you thank for taking you, time on to, to 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 join us this afternoon. Thank, thank you, thank you for having me as well. Um, we we were, I mean, for the past forty odd minutes, um, I I've been trying my best to <laughs> to to keep the politics out of this this topic, but it seems to me that we can't really find a solution to deal effectively without getting the politicians involved. What's your take on it? Well, I mean, I think um, one of the, yeah, I mean, I think you were just just talking about housing first and yes. the way that that's been used in other countries. Yes, and and that and that's something um, you know that single homeless project trialed about ten years ago, and it's a really obviously very well sort of tested and evaluated scheme that works really well with people that have got quite complex needs. Um, and gets them into accommodation straight away, but you know most importantly gives them the, that kind of wraparound support they yeah. need to hold on to the accommodation. And the main thing about it is that that support should be available for as long as somebody needs it. But unfortunately, um, in, in this country, the support is all obviously is often limited to a period of time, and so it's not there for as long as somebody needs it. And that is partly to do with kind of funding constraints that local authorities are under. So I think there's a big problem with, with revenue funding for homelessness services in the, in this country. And I mean, I'm, I'm more familiar with London. Um, but the other big, big area that only real, uh, really politicians can solve is the, is the massive um, shortage of social housing. 
um, and the, the government talks about affordable housing, but social housing is the only real form of affordable housing. And since the, the right to buy was introduced in in the 80s, there's been a you know a massive reduction, and it's never been replaced. And, and I think that's really one of the sort of serious underlying causes Ma- of homelessness. I I I'm glad you mentioned right to buy. Personal opinion, I don't have a problem with right to buy. I have a problem with how right to buy is managed. I think if someone is given the right to buy, then they shouldn't be allowed to buy another property um, because they've got massive uh, incentive to buy that property so they can become their prime home. So if they do decide to go elsewhere, then they need to give that, that property back. They need to either pay back that, give that property back, or give back the deposit that they were given as a discount. But I yeah. tend to find that right to buy is is it's it's been used as a political tool for decades, and nobody has really come in and actually set up a a good process to to make right to buy work in a proper way where social housing doesn't get affected well i think one of the things the problem there's there's the problem with people um i mean quite a lot of ironically quite a lot of um pre you know social housing that was then was then sold to the the tenant has been sold on to private landlords that's right now and now making councils pay large amounts of money to have and, and that's what that's right. talking is, about with the management side of it yeah that, that's yeah. the point because when i worked in housing i worked in housing 12 years in london mm-hmm. in in west london and, and across different i used to provide i used to provide private sector accommodation to 18 different local authorities across mm-hmm. london for temporary accommodation and the number of ex-local authority properties that were acquired by local authorities was unbelievable. I would say probably more than 50 to 60% of the stock they used to manage in their private sector stock used to belong to them at one time or another. I mean, I think, you know, that the right to buy in itself is not necessarily um, wrong. I think one of the other big, big problems, apart from one you've mentioned, is the, is the fact that they haven't built reba- replacement stock. That's right. Yeah. So, so you know, the, in the, again, back in the eighties, government, uh, the local authorities had all of this money, the receipts from sales, and the government wouldn't allow them to use it to build replacement stock. And it's just, you know, that that, that hasn't happened since because grant, you know, the money that, that housing associations and councils get to build social housing's changed and been massively reduced they can't afford to do it and that's where there's this ma- massive kind of shortage and, and 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 actually probably the amount of money that the government's spending on housing benefit for people in overpriced private rented accommodation and in temporary accommodation is is far more than if they had invested in social housing yeah. earlier um, and so it's yeah it, and that's that is really bad. Yeah. And, and the fact that there are, I think, and I'm sure somebody will call and correct me, there are 70,000 plus empty properties, public and private sector, combined in London alone. So that, 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 that may well be the case. And, and I think... Why yeah. isn't there government regulation here to, to, to you know, uh, okay, don't force people, incentivize people to mm. bring those back into habitable. Condition. Well, a lot, a lot of the, and a lot of the accommodation that has been built over 
the last last you know few years has been incredibly expensive accommodation, which has been sort of investment exactly for people who don't even live in in, in but isn't that the problem Liz that when you say the word investment we cannot look at social housing and think investment because our investment needs to be the service we provide not the profit we make which again takes me back to housing associations housing associations won't operate if they don't get a profit they won't provide a service whereas local authorities were 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 regulated to provide a service and not look at profit But the money that's coming to local authorities has been reduced significantly. So the relationship with the housing uh, organisations like the one you mentioned earlier, there's quite a few of them. That's right. But they have to make money. They've got to make profit. Of course they do. So if they build 100 homes, 20% Mm -hmm. of them need to be sold to private sector to pay for the social housing. But the planning committee mm-hmm. that sits on and approves that development has to be hard enough or strong enough to say, sorry, we want 100% social housing. But allegedly, enough developers can buy their way out of Section 106. Or sell. Oh, yeah. Or sell. That's right. Uh, and and the fact that affordable housing, well, to sell a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom apartment, which is very small, um, for more than 250 to 300,000 pounds is not affordable housing. No, and I mean, I think housing associations would probably say that they're not making a profit, they're, they're, they're making a surplus. That's right. To, to invest back in. And they have kind of, I mean, you know, there are some things you could say about some of the housing associations, but one of the things they've been forced to do, I suppose, is to go into a kind of building for sale because that's the only way that yeah. they can afford to get a bit left over to build social housing because the government doesn't, you know, give, give them enough money to do that anymore. And I mean, in, in London, uh, I mean, in, the, in, the, in, in England, the, the numbers of people who are homeless is, is estimated to be about 300,000. Yes. But mm. half so does that include people sitting in temporary accommodation? Yes. So okay. that's people in temporary accommodation, like hostels that we run or yeah. uh, other kinds of, and people that are, are sofa surfing or hidden homeless staying Staying, staying with friends, but half of that number, 150,000, are in London, um, and 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 London is such an expensive place yeah. to live that it's 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 it's, uh, it's 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 so difficult for 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 people to try and find accommodation. Liz, or, could, or, or, yeah. Sorry, could you tell me something about the single home project that you run yourself, the project yeah. itself? Yeah. So we 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 we're a homeless organisation, so we provide um, services. To, um, we provide a range of services. So we, we, we've got some uh, people that do um, staff that do outreach work. So they work with with people on the streets, trying to help them to move into um, accommodation. We run some emergency accommodation, particularly during the the, the cold weather periods. Um, but we also have a, a, a range of um, hostels and supported housing for um, uh, adults uh, adults who've been had a history of rough sleeping but also some young people services and i think i was listening to the the the, the woman that was on just 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 a few minutes ago mm-hmm. about yeah. the health the health debt in um um in the, in the usa United States, which yeah. we, we 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 don't have that but certainly in our hostels where we're housing mm. um hundreds of people who've got histories of rough sleeping um there are a large number of those people who've got serious underlying health conditions 
and they're not in touch with health services and they're not getting the service they need from for, from the NHS and so we're having to we, we've, we've managed to raise some money um, to pay staff to sort of help navigate some of those people in into the, the health support that they need but a lot of people that live in our hostels have I mean they're obviously experiencing homelessness but they also um, many will also have a dependency on um, drugs or alcohol yeah. um, have have mental mental health problems and um, but also sort of previous hi- histories of trauma and abuse in childhood which makes their lives incredibly kind of complex and they face so many sort of dis- disadvantages and uh, that's often ca- usually compounded by poverty as well so people are at a terrible terrible disadvantage um, and 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 um, yeah it's but but what the other thing we do do a lot of work on is prevention which obviously prevention is better than cure and so we work with lots of people who might have accommodation but um find themselves at risk of being evicted so hidden homeless losing that com- no these are not no, no not necessarily hidden homeless these may be people living in council flats or in private rented accommodation but they've got in they might have got into renteries, ah, the land section eights and section twenty ones. Yeah, and and the landers might or send sell the flat, or the landers wants to put the rent up and they can't afford it. Afford it yeah. We work yeah. with those people to try and negotiate with landlords, or to try and you know make sure they've got the benefits that they're entitled to, so they can you know afford to, afford to pay to pay the rent. So that that that's an important part of our work, which is the kind of preventative work, and we also are able to help some people to find work or to get into education or training. So we do provide a range of services for people at what you might describe as at different stages of, of, of homelessness because not everyone's going to be on the streets and rough sleepers are really the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we've got about, they counted last year, about 10,000 people that were sort of um, counted as rough sleepers. But as I've already said, there are, you know, in, in London sort of 150,000 people who aren't sleeping on the streets but are in terrible, you know, circumstances in terms of not having anywhere permanent to live yeah. and, and and having to stay in very insecure arrangements. So it, it is it is it is a it is a big problem. I think it's it's it is it is it is resolvable. I you know maybe that we'd never get a situation where somebody doesn't end up homeless because things happen. Of course, but I, I think that that would be the exception and not the norm. And unfortunately, it's very much the norm at the moment. Um. Final question, or before I hand over to Brother Hanif, Prince William, um, and I personally agree with what, what Prince William wants. He believes that you can have zero homelessness, and he's used Finland, which we've kind of alluded to throughout the program, mm-hmm. um, as a case study for it. Do you you work, you're, you're at the front line um, looking and meeting and discussing and, and trying to resolve these issues. Is, is Prince William on the right um, path here? I, I think it's it's good that he is um, in a position to to raise those questions and get an, a, a lot of coverage for it. So that's that's really positive. And to talk talk about the possibility of being able to to eradicate or or end homelessness is is a, is 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 a, is, a, is a good a good thing to 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 to, to, to say and to raise mm. the possibility. Um, uh, so yeah, I I I I I I, I, th- I think that, that he's done a good thing, um, but I guess he's not going to do that on his own. I don't think he's he's suggesting that. Agre- agreed. And Agre- I think the big the big thing is you know going back to really where we started at the beginning is 
it's the government, a government, having having the will to do something, and it's it's going to be it is going to be um, expensive in terms of of building housing and and providing sufficient sort of money from councils to uh, ensure that that people who are very vulnerable are given the support they need. But it's a bit like if you remember during the pandemic when um, they they did, had this program everywhere one in where you know uh, they used all those hotels that didn't have anything else to do um, and uh, moved all the the rough sleepers in. That's right. I, I was going to mention that yeah. that over the uh, pandemic that, was a perfect right. example that, that they managed right. to get everybody right. off the streets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it is doable. It is doable. Um, it is, it, yeah, yeah. Liz, we couldn't uh, we can we can carry on and discuss this topic yeah. forever, but <laughs> unfortunately right, yeah. we're coming up to the hour. I just want to thank you for taking time out for us on the Drive yeah. Time Show and and uh, and giving us an insight into into your work in uh, in in trying to help the vulnerable in getting adequate housing. Um, may God bless your work. May God reward you with even further success in your work. Um, Thank you so much for taking time out. Have a fantastic weekend and may God thank, may peace be you with you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for covering this subject. It's a great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Liz Rutherford. Um, Brother Hanif, we are coming up to the hour. Um, we've got about a minute and a half left, yeah. but we've discussed, fin- we've mentioned Finland so many times. I think what we'll do is when we come back from the news, We'll carry it on, yeah, and we and so. we also look at it from a from a, from the Islamic lens as well. Yeah, we have. Yeah, uh, there's so much know. more to kind of talk about, and you know the amount of effort that's been done in the house building and certain areas, and and the challenges actually people face. Do you know NIMBYism? Yes, not in my backyard. Yeah, but everybody wants it. Of course, of course, that is the case, and of course, we mentioned Prince William there. We will discuss a little bit as to what he is proposing, why he's using Finland as a case study. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, it is it is something that I think we've mentioned throughout the program. Housing is not just about having a roof over your head. It's about uh, creating positive mental attitude. It deals, it, it will reduce mental health. Yeah. It will reduce um, illnesses. It will create confidence within society. There are so many different aspects of life for an individual that can be solved um, um, by having... Uh, a roof, a, a good yeah. roof. It, it's something that Barbara said, which I really yes. liked. You know, somewhere where you can close the door and call it home. Home. Yeah, no, 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 nothing, nothing better than that. No. Um, we are going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to uh, try and uh, discuss a bit further as to uh, where we are going with this topic of homelessness. Is there a solution? Is Finland... Um, a good case study to follow considering it's a smaller country than us or is that irrelevant do stay tuned Um, join us after the five o'clock news a new station the voice of islam with live discussions You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome back to The Drive Time Show where we have been talking about homelessness. And just before the the, the short break and the news, we 
were discussing to to Liz about um, why we are talking about this this topic, and it's because Prince William, yeah, you know, um, um, commented on um, uh, on on this issue and how he has started a campaign and a program to eradicate um, homelessness, and he used Finland as a study, as a case study. Um, and in in the break, I was actually talking to to Brother Hanif about this. How uh, I think it was last year or the year before, mm. where Prince William went undercover, and uh, I think yeah, it was last year or the year before, just after COVID um, was over, and uh, somebody recognised him. He was actually selling the big issue. <laughs> he had yeah. his yellow vest on and yeah. the red top, and his is you know he was dressed in. Your your layman big big issue garbs and and with big red red baseball cap on looking down and he was giving away the big issue, and some passerby recognised him, and 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 called the called the reporters and then yeah. people came and rushing in, and and it was it was just like, you know look whether you are anti royal or whether you're pro royal is irrelevant, um he doesn't need to do that. Yeah, but I think he was doing his research because yeah. sometimes when you really want to, he probably had already in his mind that he's going to do this, but he really wanted to feel it and experience it on the front line and see people's attitude towards yeah. people. Because we mentioned earlier, didn't we? We, we was when we were speaking to Josephine, we we're talking about the stigma that's uh, around people with homelessness. Is it all about that they're addicted to drugs and they've got uh, alcohol abuse? But having that first-hand knowledge always adds to a lot of gravitas before something that you're going to do, and you know. And also, we spoke about what the purpose of being a Muslim or or Islam's core teachings is. That you know, a fifty percent, or if not more or less, were around that is so important. Is that we got to serve mankind. Yep. And we got to. They have a right, and they have many rights. They have right to clean, fresh water. Right to an education. They have right to. A, a roof over their head. They have a right in so many ways, which the the situation is, is that many, their rights are being eradicated. They're not being given. And I think this is where I think Islam steps in in a big way, is that where it actually considers all human beings as equal and of deserving respect and dignity. And I think that is a big responsibility on what, Islam gives on Muslims that that these are the rights that that need to be protected and upheld, and it's a big responsibility, right? And I think all faiths have some similar kind of teachings, but actually, this particular thing that it's a responsibility of Muslims to ensure that the rights are protected and upheld. And you know, Islam is not just about lip service; yeah. it isn't just about words and theory or. Oh, it said this and said that. <clears throat> there is this incident about um, um, uh, Caliph Umar, um, may Allah be pleased with him, yeah. the second Caliph of Islam, um, which is preserved in history. And indeed, there are many other such incidents which are relating to him himself. When once he was a Caliph, once he saw an old non-Muslim who was begging, so he asked him why he what why he why he was begging. He replied, "What can I do?" Um, Umar has imposed the jizya. The jizya was a tax which was imposed upon non-Muslim citizens, yeah. and it was a kind of uh, and and well, you can call it a tax or a or a payment. Um, and Muslims and non-Muslims um, 
you know, they all pay taxes, but it varied in accordance with whether you were a Muslim and and, and non-Muslim. And the old man said, I cannot work. I am old. There is no exemption from this tax. Upon hearing this, uh, uh, Caliph Omar, may Allah be pleased with him, he immediately instructed the relevant department that no tax was to be taken from this man, but rather the upkeep of all such persons was to be borne by the treasury, which was the standard of justice of that era, despite the lack of resources. In spite of being a non-Muslim, he was given his due rights, and this way, Caliph Omar, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, fulfilled the requirements of justice. Mm. And this is what caused peace to be established in the country. And the, and the, the, the importance of this is that it didn't matter what faith you belonged to. It didn't matter what tribe you came from. It didn't matter what color you were. It was humanity which Caliph Omar was, was protecting there. And from my perspective, again, somebody can call in and, and correct me, beginning of a welfare state. Hmm. You need to look after, the government's responsibility is to look after the need of the poor people. And that doesn't mean you give them your leftovers. No. You give them a good quality of life. Because it's their right. Yes. And if it's someone's right, and if you also understand, as a concept of Islam, that everything that is here, whatever you have, whatever you've achieved, belongs to God Almighty anyway. And it's all going to go back to him. And when you leave this world... You ain't taking it with you. Hmm. So if you're willing to give up your wealth, your property in the service of mankind or service in this way, um, a right to a homeless person to be able to treat it well with dignity and, and, and steadfast, then God Almighty will recompense the individual anyway. I think the other thing that was really good with what you gave that example is that it created peace and, and supreme justice of course and and then it didn't matter who you were like you mentioned everybody got on no problems there was no divisions mm, yeah which is what is happening in today's world oh god yeah yeah there, there, there is a lot of that but you know when we look at some of the history i mean there are here's some statistics and this is mm. when i was looking at the notes that were provided mm. this really upset me in a way that i didn't know how severe it was when you go back to the museum of homeless homelessness their findings show that there were more than 4,000 people who have died while they've been homeless in the UK since 2019. And that equates to a person dying on average every 6.5 hours on average. That's quite a big statistic. Mm -hmm. And since 2019, so you know, so what time did you wake up? I don't know, 10, 11, or you had a leisure late night, or you woke up quite early. By the time you've arrived here for our live show... Potentially two people have already died. Wow. Wow. And on our way home, by the time we get home, another person would have died. Okay. Now, let's look at what exactly is Prince William launching here. Yeah. I mean, you know, if Prince William's listening, feel free to call in on 0208-687-7878 and tell us um, yourself what you're launching. Yeah, <laughs> But it is a locally-led plan in six flagship locations around the UK that will demonstrate it is possible to end homelessness. According to the report, Kensington Palace announced that the programme called Home Wards will bring together an unprecedented network of organisations and individuals tapping into their collective expertise to create and deliver a tailored-made 
plan to prevent homelessness in the respective areas. It will provide up to £500,000 of flexible seed funding in each of the six locations to support projects and findings from the programmes will be used to create a model that will be used elsewhere across the UK and internationally. Marking the launch of this big initiative as heir to the throne, the Prince of Wales said in a statement, in a modern and progressive society, everyone should have a safe and secure home. He treated, be treated with dignity and given the support they need. Through Homewards, I want to make this a reality and over the next five years, give people across the UK hope that homelessness can be prevented when we collaborate. Now, yeah. that's the key word. Collaboration. Collaboration. There needs to be cohesive, joined up thinking across departments, employment, welfare, housing, um, dealing with social inequality. All of these people need to sit down together and tackle the issues of housing, which is what Finland did. Yeah, and and I think this is what boils down to this whole thing of um, free market. People have the choice to build whatever they want to build. And it relates to this whole concept of having sufficient housing stock for people who are homeless to be able to use them or actually have uh, discounted homes that built that can be affordable. You mentioned that you know it came on inspired by Finland mm. and they had this thing called housing first. Yes. So again it it boils on that on that idea of a right to have a roof over your head mm-hmm. and therefore having housing first which is a policy that unconditionally offers rental homes with contracts to people experiencing homelessness and then they wrap around and all the support they needed that's what they get and I think this is crucial and then we saw some of these when you look at what uh, Andy Burnham's done in Manchester as well it's that kind of process when you look at when he talks about this whole policy it is all about housing first and the collaboration which he did working with businesses working with local councils and actually ensuring that the funding came in and the housing was available to do that and we can talk about numbers as well but Matt Downey who's the CEO of Homeless Charity Crisis which was one of the organisations that um, many people work with and you've mentioned to them and you've also mentioned that story with with Prince Philip as well when he got um, caught selling the big Prince issue William. as well Prince, Prince William, William. Yeah. yeah um so the, the the what he said was that the reporters that Finland's successful homeless policy has been the leading example for a number of years and its collaborative approach and the whole of society committing for long term is key to its success and adding a spokesperson from the Royal Foundation to the charities established by Prince and Prince of Wales. So that collaboration gives it some gravitas, doesn't it? It does. Now, my only problem with political-led campaigns are that they're based on political ideology. And that causes a a problem because it's based not on the welfare of the vulnerable person, but it's based on the vote bank for the the party that is introducing a policy. Whereas with Prince William, he's talked about seed money. Seed money can only come from the private sector. Seed money will only come from people who have money. 
but you still need you still need the collaboration from the local government. I mean, if you remember I, what I, Marcus I, Rashford did for <coughs> school meals, didn't it? He, he that was forced, his own. He forced government well, into they, into a position. Irrespective if he forced them or not, yeah. without their collaboration, without what they did, they were able to take it to the next step further well, without and, a doubt. and have that, right? Look, um, so you can't there, exclude that. I'm not excluding. Yeah. I'm just saying that the government can't be the driver of it. What I'm saying is the the, the government needs to be assisting this is where i talk about so public private specifically about homelessness partnership. Yeah? i'm specifically talking yeah. about homelessness i'm not talking about your politics man we're not that's another that's another program uh, that's that's another week of program that we can go into we're talking about dealing with homelessness because yes. one thing that has been said collectively by all of our guests in the past hour has been the shortage of property yes property um in this country is an asset which attracts businesses, people um, from not just all over the world, but local people, people from all walks of life. Um, you know, the, the, what's the word? The, the, the Englishman's uh, home is his castle. Yes. So home ownership is a must. Yeah. It's a must. Um, and, you know, it, it's everybody is looking to own their home. And In this country, I think more so, but when you look at some of our European counterparts, it's not really... Considered that much it's of changing. an important thing. It's changing. Although it's changing, but it's changing. But historically, I agree it's with not you. been that way. Yeah, no, because Europeans tend to. There was a. There was. I think some time ago we did a show. I think there was like seventy-five percent of of Europeans tended to rent. Rent, yeah. but because also because they had favor. There was favorable towards tenants. Whereas in this country, yeah. it's the other way around. Over there, you can't do short-term leases. In Europe, it's minimum rent, uh, minimum uh, length of contract is three years. You do either three years, six years, nine years. Um, and, uh, you know, and uh, there are rents restrictions. There are, um, um, you know, you can't, you, you, ca- you cannot ask for just um, a- any old rent. The, the concept of free market is, doesn't exist, whereas UK is a free market. And the reason I mention free market mm. is because I kind of want to touch on that yeah, um, from, from an economic point yes. of view that um, free market is also uh, a, a contributor to the issue of homelessness because with developers um, they bid for massive uh, um, developments in which they by law have to provide a certain percentage of the development uh, to be uh, to accommodate social housing but what do they do they build the you know one um, kind of small project which is sold to um, outright buyers which is you know built on fantastic materials which has got all the mod cons the gym yeah. the swimming pool everything then the next phase is they they build part by part rent then the next is they they build for rental and the private sector and once they have built and and facilitated all of those unit empty units and they've occupied them and then they build the little bit of unit if they are forced into it by pressures from a very strong housing cabinet for whatever area they're building in that and then the quality and the standard of build is just on borderline and and th- there's a massive disparity in 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 what is being built from day one to the last second? I, I just want to just give you some stats. I just mm. I remember the Battersea Power Station yeah, development yeah. in London, which That's is right, so yeah. beautiful. I've just pulled it up now. Um, so the average 
kind of home prices, you'll be well surprised. I think it's three million. That's right. Yeah. Then there's like another area which within the same complex it's seven million mm-hmm. and then uh, actually these are dollar prices but so it's not that far off and there are 4.4 so who's going to buy that and wh- who is it a foreign person that's going to come and buy that so who allowed that development to take place and how much of all of that development is allocated to socialising I'm sure we could do the statistics and find out but it, it is a responsibility of the local authorities to ensure that like I think 10% saying. of that has gone to socialising 10 to 20% is that it yeah yeah but no but that's the again yeah. that's the limit that has been set by consecutive governments not one government consecutive governments because and the reason why it's so low because you mentioned about power station it was empty for decades yes Nobody wanted to go there. The governments had the ample opportunity to go and, and develop it into this, I think it's 20,000 units that they're building there. Why didn't the government go in and think of long term and, and build something there? Nobody did. So a private developer came in and, and I'm not going to say anything that the private developer, what the private developer did was good for the area. He's brought um, jobs to the area. He's brought, he has at least accommodated you know, a few hundred uh, um, people on on the housing list, which weren't being offered by anyone. No local government, no regional government, no central government. Everybody had left that site alone for at least 10, 15 years. It just sat there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But I think there still needs to be a responsibility as to allow a private developer to come in and own the place. Agreed. Without uh, without any conditions. And I, I agree don't know with you. It, I don't know enough about that no, development. No, I agree with but, you. But I'm sure you will also agree that that has to come from the decision makers and the governing bodies who are responsible for the housing policy. And they, again, it goes back to that the policy is... Um, is not holistic. It is one track minded. It's about um, who's going to provide how many units, yeah. and and you know they, they 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 needs to be out of the box thinking, which is what Finland has yeah. done. So, so when you talk about that, the house the homelessness, mm. and th- that's the issue, isn't it? When we're building this housing complexes, you mentioned thousands, but we're still losing the housing stock for our social housing. Yep. And then there's a definition of what social housing is. Is yep. it affordable social housing? Is it housing for someone who can, who is homeless, who needs a place to stay? My biggest worry with all of this is that London is attracts everybody worldwide internationally. It's absolutely the it's the, the centre of the world. Catalyst, yeah, London is the centre of the world. Money. Yeah, and so if we we need to make sure we retain that culture. Yes, and 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 as more and more we have these developments, we're allow, allowing the the people to live there. For example, we build these hospitals and schools. So where do the teachers and where do the nurses and doctors live? Hmm. They can't always travel in. They've got to have somewhere where they can live, and the situation has just been exasperated. Remember the firemen, all, all of our public services, and children growing up need to have somewhere to live. So I think that the balance needs to be right and the investment needs to be insured. Now, you might wonder, well, what's 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 homelessness got to do with the free markets that I talked about? Yeah. Well, what it does is we, we it's about demand and supply. And right to buy again, we gave an example. 
um, a lot of these properties ended up in the hands of people who could who didn't really need these properties. They saw it as an investment vehicle. And the fact that they are renting it back to the local authority is 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 there is a there there is a question of ethics and morals there. A property which was built for the purpose of social housing yeah. is now changed hands through two or three different people and now has ended up on the desk of the social housing provider, but at four to five times the cost at what yeah. it should be, um, what, what it was made for. So the, the word greed comes into mind. The word in today's day and age, when people think of greed, they think of capitalism. And I remember going back eight years, Economists, the, the Economist newspaper, they had a, the, one of the feature headlines on, on the front page was the end of capitalism is here. You know, we, we go through these and, you know, we're in, in, in 20, we're in 2023. And just a couple of months ago, uh, Fortune magazine. And, and, these are, and again, these are recognized finance uh, publications. They said... Fortune, and this is April 2023, they said, we may be looking at the end of capitalism. One of the world's oldest and largest investment bank has warned, look at the word they've used, greedflation yeah. has gone too far. Yeah. And I think then when we talk about our the principle of Islam, mm. where you need to serve humanity, mm. and if we see all of the deprivation and people right to have a roof over their head yeah. so we're not allowing that to happen and some and what you say there partly is down to the greed because we in society and many corporations are now racing to the bottom in spite of profits well, I'm, perfect word isn't it we talk about the standards of living going down quality of life going down we talk about the crisis we talk about the, the financial crisis caused by COVID, it caused, followed up by, well, before then it was Brexit, then yeah. COVID, then the cost of living crisis. But throughout these, corporations, people who are supposed to be providing the utilities, have been making billions. Yeah. People who are supposed to be providing the food have been making billions. People who are supposed to be providing us with the fuel and our vehicles are making billions. Yeah. You know, um, uh, in last year's, the companies in last year's Fortune 500 alone, just Fortune 500, yeah? That's 500 companies degenerated an all-time high $1.8 trillion in profit. Just the top 500, yeah? Uh, in profit on $16.1 trillion in revenue. Now, they're not suffering any kind of crisis. They're causing, or they are, okay, strong words, they're causing it. They sure as hell are supplementing it. They are supporting. Which tells you that if they had a moral compass and... So important words, aren't they? That moral compass would, the profits that they have will be reinvested back into not only giving it to the shareholders, but giving it back to organizations that are actually providing a great service right isn't that something that relates to islam where the money needs to circulate 
in a way that it doesn't need to be hoarded by people to earn the interest when actually if it's circulating in the system everyone benefits from it. Now Albert Edwards the global strategist at this 159 year old bank yeah. is um, and forgive me the pronunciation is in French I think it's Societe Générale he released a blistering note on the phenomenon he called it greedflation he says corporations particularly in developed economies like the US and the United Kingdom have used rising raw material costs amid the pandemic and the war in Ukraine as an excuse to raise prices and expand profit margins to new heights he said and the french investment bank isn't just historic it's one of the select banks considered to be systematically important by the financial stability board the g20's international body dedicated to safeguarding the global financial system now when we talk about global financial Ooh. system we talk we always think of the dollar we think of the pound we think of the euro what's happening now russia china india south africa the african nations they're saying enough is enough you know <coughs> you can only um you you can't control us anymore we are tired we want to exchange we want to trade in our own currencies or we want to create a similar yeah or barter even or barter even mm. we are coming to a i think it's it's a a crossroads within the economic system where new currencies are going to take place we spoke briefly i think before brics and all these um, you know Brazil, Russia, India, yeah, South Africa right, yeah. and all these other nations they want to collectively have one uh, currency or they want to trade within with with the Chinese one yeah. um the Africans ha- are now saying that well hold on you know Gaddafi did try to introduce the 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 the, 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 the gold dinar which was the the uh, the equivalent to euro but within the african terms one currency within africa and you know let's let's look what happened to him mm. saddam hussein um wanted to stop um trading oil in dollar he actually wanted to go down the euro route and look what happened to him yeah so many different call it conspiracy theories call it factual things call it historical things what i'm saying is these countries in africa these countries in russia these countries like china they're not they they're not weak countries anymore they're not the saddam husseins and the and the and the qadafis anymore these are intelligent people with power in their hands yeah and and the profit if you look at africa gdp growth yes compared to other countries it's on double digits right and the leaders of these countries are very intelligent who have i think the word you used earlier was morals and ethics they are looking at africa with a moral and ethical compass Can I ask you this question if you if you wanted to start a business I'd, oh, I'll be I'll be looking at Africa Africa's the future as so far as what I'm I mean concerned. is you wanted to borrow some money from a bank sure so a bank says yeah no problem yeah uh, what's your business plan yeah. okay great so you want to borrow say 50,000 pound no problem mm-hmm. so here you go here's the money but what I want is on interest on that 50,000 that's right and then when you have made your money mm-hmm. I want money back on the interest that you've made made that's right so there's no risk to the bank yes So when there's no risk to the bank, where is the interest of that bank to ensure that that business is a success? Yep. Where's the collaboration? That is that's a different concept, isn't it? So when you look at an Islamic type of bank where they share the risk, is that right. right? Risk is a must. 
how is it that you know you, you, this notion of a sure thing you said the bank doesn't lose how is that possible well that's what it's been built yeah but this oh, is the right? problem yeah. isn't it this is where the problem lies islam talks about risk see there's there's nothing yes you yes you can make a loss but that's business isn't it yes a, a business is supposed to it will make you profit but also in an islamic system let's look at it from a simpler system trading if i'm buying from you you're the farmer and i'm buying from you i don't want to squeeze you to a point where you are making the minimal profit from your from from, from what you're producing which is what happens with africa Hmm. The farmer, or the 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 manufacturer, or the one well, who provides in the United Kingdom with our farmers producing milk for us or eggs. Even you're you're a, you're an advocate of climate change, yes? Yeah. European Union are pressing African countries at the moment in trading and investing in Africa, and they're saying to them, "We will only invest in your country if you, if you." were to use um green uh, and uh, your 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 production and everything yeah. is based on greener and eco green energy eco, green energy yeah that's the condition they're they they're putting on africa yet the same policy doesn't apply to them within europe well they, you can argue will, with china what they china what they've done when they've come into africa and they, where they built the roads and right. the infrastructure yep. The African countries are in debt to them, and not only that. When they come and build uh-huh. a road, when they're they not in debt. They're but, not in debt. That's when, a mis- That's but, a misconception. But when they come have. and build a road, yeah, they bring their workers from China. That's right. Why haven't they allowed the people of Africa, for uh-huh. example, Nigeria, Ghana, where the big motorways have been built, to use their people? One of to- the biggest problems in Africa has been the lack of infrastructure for decades. Yeah, for decades and decades and decades. Yeah, Russia has come in. and said we will give you an infrastructure but we will not we will not uh, charge you uh, extortionate interest rates we will not keep you in debt forever like the west like the the, the western made banks have like uh, you know a, a small african nation who probably owes 5 billion but after 50 years of payment still owes 5 billion because as you mentioned compound interest interest after interest after interest where china said we'll give you infrastructure of course china want to it's a big country they are so, giving guaranteed right. employment so, so saying, they're giving guaranteed employment to their right. people so what 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 we're saying mm. is that if we look back at 2008 when the lehman brothers yep. went bankrupt because yep. they were lending money or they, countries they were, selling were borrowing products. money yes where there was no real mm. money there wasn't enough money yep. and it collapsed and then it came back and they put in some things to make sure it doesn't happen again mm-hmm. but it's still built on interest mm-hmm. what you're trying to say here is that the new world order as you're describing it yep. will be not built on interest but will be built on collaboration and sharing the risk it has to it has to there is it doesn't matter whether i say um, i think just before we came on air we were discussing how even western Econom- economists have started to admit i think it was recently it was i was reading this uh, this article they talked about caliph omar may allah be pleased with him and they said he was the original economist we, we if we had implemented um the economic system that he had implemented 
1400 odd years ago, then we we wouldn't have the troubles that we have in our economy today. Now, economists are actively looking at the Islamic economic system. I'm not saying they're going to adapt it and, and say this is it. The fact that they are looking at it is a massive leap. Let me just explain something else to you or, or, or try and have a discussion about this. So a lot of people are fearful of that system. Yes. But maybe you might want to need to answer this question. Because the core principle, say, of Islam is to serve mankind yes. and to protect them with honesty and dignity. Mm-hmm. Although this system is not based on interest or anything, collaboration, does that mean they still don't provide the basic needs for, a, uh, say, a government that of wanted to provide the housing? Welfare, the like, welfare state is the, is, the, welfare is, state is, is the foundation stone of of serving humanity the, the, you know the welfare state is something so in that, an islamic system how is the welfare state funded well we have the, we have the fifth pillar of islam zakat which is um, you know which is two which is you know let's call it an equivalent yeah. an equivalent in today's word in english would be a wealth tax yeah yeah now people say well i've got i've got uh, you know trillions of pounds yes it's a wealth tax which is only charged on incumbent which is on on dead money which has been sitting there for over a year you mean like uh, a lady's jewelry sitting in the bank so, so if she hasn't used the jewelry for one year yeah the value of that jewelry will be valued and you will have to pay two percent of that if you have had say a hundred thousand pounds sitting in your bank which has sat there for um a whole year you've done nothing with it the dead capital isn't it well the, the islam says well why keep dead capital why not throw it back in the economy as opposed mm-hmm. to an as opposed interest to interest, on it. that's right. He's saying use the capital to run the cycle of the economy. And is that sufficient money to provide money for the homeless, mm-hmm. for our NHS, mm-hmm. for building our roads, providing our staff for education, etc.? Of course, like uh, one billionaire um, can resolve that issue if if one was to actually sit down and seriously do some arithmetic. Yeah, there is there is monies and monies and monies and monies. Yeah, but, but it's, is, actually, it's, the card is based be. on two point five percent, isn't it? Not two percent. Uh, is it? Yeah, my I understanding think it's is two point four. Is it well, anyway? I'm sure somebody will call in and and correct me. Yeah. Um, it's it's you know, but but and again, it's not just the two percent or the two and a half percent, which is the um, which is which is the solution. It's also how you treat. Raw materials is how look mountains and mountains butter mountains are destroyed. Wheat is destroyed. Fruits and vegetables are destroyed. Um, you know, there, yeah. are, um, there are so many products, food, which can, you know, so much food is destroyed every year, which would resolve the, the, the food right. crisis of this world. So that's another comparison that you're describing there, isn't it? So yes. when we talk about solving the world problems and solving the, the food shortages around the world mm-hmm. so at the moment ukraine was the third biggest provider of wheat yep and now we have a situation because of the way russia has done this illegal invasion and now bargaining with wheat cannot be now distributed or leave the country mm-hmm. that is affecting everyone's welfare right it's uh, creating again, so politi- many problems it is causing problems but russia has only pulled out of it now because before it was, you know, for the past year or so, it was it was negotiating, it was providing. Yeah, Turkey negotiated. Yeah, that, Turkey negotiated. That, Again, 
the the world politics has a lot to answer for. Um, you know, again, we've the number of times you sat here and talked about Russia, Ukraine, that it's not a one sided argument. You know, end of the day, let's say, you know, let's say Ukraine wins today. Russia, Russia withdraws. Okay, Russia withdraws. What exactly has Ukraine won? A destroyed country in which the Western nations are going to go in and they're going to fight for contracts to build it. It doesn't matter what they've what? done or what. The, the war is illegal. It shouldn't have happened. No. And that's the, a different argument. That's what I'm saying. But but what they have won, I mean, if you imagine Crimea was annexed it about eight years ago. It's a, it's So why from, didn't this war start eight years ago? Maybe. That's my point. Because yeah. the political desire, the political will of the West wasn't there. What I'm saying to you is things need to be looked at from a balanced perspective if you want to. If you want to come to a resolution um, which is based on, on peace, which is based on humanity. So that thing about, you mentioned that example with uh, Umar, uh, the, the Khalifa of Umar, where he did what he did to make sure that the tax was equally and it wasn't being asked to pay for people or whatever it is. It created peace and harmony and tranquility and and by having stability which is one of the biggest things in any economy for investment is stability and if you have peace and stability everyone prospers now you mentioned interest yeah let's go and listen to a let's go and listen to an audio by the fourth caliph of the amni muslim community as a mizatahir ahmed may have mercy on his soul um, you know he he spoke extensively yeah. on on this topic so let's go and listen to what his holiness had said for every motion, there has to be a motive force, some compulsion to drive something on. So the wheels of economy are drawn, are moved, put into motion, I should say, by some compulsion. According to the capitalistic system, that compulsion is a promise of a reward for your money. You deposit your money in a bank and you are, you, you are assured that you will get a certain sum out of that deposit per year or whatever the time scale be. This is how the capital does not remain idle. Another way of doing the same thing would be to punish you if you keep your capital idle with the result that through compulsion of fear you are forced to move the economic wheel anyway. Now apparently the reward is much bigger in terms of percentages normally found today in the world as against the punishment, the set of punishment which is two and a half percent generally speaking. But in reality it is not so because when you further examine the full situation of the capital system and how it works, you will come to realize that in an interest-run economy, the money loses its value by the passage of time. And in fact, what you are left with is much less than your calculations would let you, would, would, would make you believe. 
by the time you have received 12%, that is 12 rupees extra to your 100, then money may have lost its value by even 15%. So there is a big fraud committed against the innocent people who think their money is doubling in 6 years or so. But the best way of judging whether money was actually doubling up or being halved is to buy something of the real estate and uh, keep it as you know as a, as, a, as a test case and after six years try to buy that piece of land with a double money if you really are able to buy that much piece of land with your doubled up money and save some then you are in profit if you have to borrow some more money to buy the same piece of land which you could buy six years before then you are positively a loser. So through this interest system you deceive the whole society and those who control the banks and the monetary uh, sit at the sources of uh, money manipulation they can play havoc with the money of not only individuals but also of the poor nations and this is exactly what is being done. Apart from that the threat of tax on capital is different thing. This is the, the profit which you receive is not calculated uh, according to the whole capital. The fact is that when you are taxed at the capital, then you suffer quite a substantial sum if you do not move that money as I explained yesterday within a matter of year you will be left with nothing. So when you are compelled to move obviously the rate of profit that you can make would be more than two and a half percent or should be. Normally this is uh, a, I mean considering the normal um, I shouldn't say normal because in every country it is different. But what I want to say is that you take the specimen economy of any country. Even in the poorest country, the rate of genuine profit would be higher than two and a half percent. So what you gain is a real gain and not an imaginary gain after paying the taxes. But that is not all. Now I am going to compare the philosophy and what truly lies behind the Islamic philosophy. Amr once mentioned by way of a question. He wanted to convey some message through a question regarding the interest. He asked someone, does your money give children gives birth to babies. So he was surprised. He said, no. He said, then why Why are you charging so much for lending your money? What he pointed out was a much deeper thing than what appeared. The fact is that money in itself has neither the quality of growing nor the quality of lessening. It is an inert thing 
and it acquires equality whenever married to the talent or labor of somebody else. In that case, it could decrease as well as it could increase. So, an essential quality is non-existent in the case of the money. It, is, it just becomes an instrument. An instrument which should be employed to decrease itself or to increase itself. The result would depend on who is using this instrument. So, if this is kept in mind, then the importance is transferred from money to the user. And he gains more importance in the economy. So, this is why Islam does not permit, and one of the reasons, does not permit usury. There are so many other reasons, I am not discussing all, but as I told you, I am giving some hints, which are very important and fundamental. Now, for instance, look at the capitalistic system. The banks assure you that they will give you a certain percentage. Regardless of the fact that that is just a fraud and more often than not, you don't get anything in return. The fact is that it will, this way, this system will kill your personal capabilities and also kill the standard of honesty in uh, trade and industry and everything. Because you are not concerned with the standard of honesty in this regard, because this is a government system and uh, in this, so, a very rarely in this system, a bank goes bankrupt. So it's almost certain, it's like a law that you deposit your money and you get, you get your so-called profit out of that. And you do not have to pay personal attention to it. Islam abolishes this system and promotes a system of cooperative trade, cooperative industry and cooperative business. In that case, you are not assured of any positive profit. Only the result would decide whether you should get a certain percentage out of your capital or the vice versa would happen. The very opposite is going to take place. Who is going to decide this? The person who is employed for some sort of business or who is interested with some sort of business. And also the system which has been agreed upon between the two parties, the lender and the one who, who is deposited with. If the lender is a sensible man, then he would naturally take active personal interest in two things. Number one, he would judge the quality and the standard of honesty of the party whom he is interesting with his money. Secondly, he would like to have some personal relationship with that trade or business. He would not be just a sleeping partner because it would help him not to be a sleeping partner. So, a trade, mutual trade would develop in such a society with emphasis on maximum participation and emphasis on the standard of honesty. When this system 
was practiced in the early centuries of Islam, this is exactly what happened. It was a highly boosting economy in the early centuries of Islam, which became the center of the entire world. And what actually was happening, that the most pious and the most trustworthy were, had become banks automatically. For instance, Hazrat Imam Abu Hanifa was a multi-millionaire because people would throw their money into his house or in his depositing coffers and leave a note just telling him that you can employ this and the profit would be divided 25% or 50% as they agreed. And some would leave the money without permitting him to uh, employ that money. And that was Amana. So, in, this is the second thing. In Amanat, the mm, conditions are different. And in trade, they are different. When you permit someone to go into trade with your money, then you share the profit as well as the loss. And there we had uh, His Holiness, the fourth Caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Azam Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul. And exactly, you know, me and, you know, instead of me and Hanif waffling on about what should be and shouldn't be, <laughs> no person better than uh, the fourth Caliph to yes. have explained who, you know, he has extensively spoken on this topic, of course, alongside with the current Caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza uh, Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand. We are coming up to the hour. Um, uh, concluding words, uh, just a few, few words before yeah, I conclude. I mean, yeah, I, I think looking at both the subjects, I think it's look, really important that when we start thinking about homelessness, it's so important that we have good quality housing to give people good mental health. And with this free market, which we spoke about, there's a responsibility there that needs to happen. Most definitely. Responsibility and accountability, um, which is lacking. Uh, thank you to all of our guests who took time out and came on to the show and spoke uh, about the topics at hand. Thank you to Brother Hanif. Thank you to Brother Akib in Tech. Thank you to our researchers, our producers. Until we meet again, please remember us in your prayers. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.